Welcome, welcome, welcome to Above Replacement Radio. I am your host, Chris Gianta. I might be becoming a bad baseball fan who can't enjoy the romantic things because of advanced statistics. 15 years from now, I want to be on the early baseball committee. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Kern. I literally have the fan graphs hoodie, the baseball reference t-shirt, just repping some stats, you know what I'm saying? It's not necessarily Hall of Fame. It's not necessarily above average, but we can guarantee you we are better than just the standard replacement level college sophomore. And welcome to Above Replacement Radio, where we're talking baseball. Kind of whenever I'm your host, Chris Gianta, over there to my actual left, as you cannot see on YouTube, unfortunately, is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, I'm doing very well. It's been maybe a couple weeks or so. We went on our annual uh, high school basketball mode yep. for, for a week. Uh, very recently, uh, we almost forgot what baseball was for a second, but we, we caught up on everything and we're ready to do another pod. Yeah, yeah. Um, things like things we caught up on included Carlos Correa signing for the third time, and it it's actually real this time. Uh, he's going to the Twins. <clears throat> back to the Twins. Going, yeah, going back to the Twins, returning for six years, two hundred million dollars. Um, what do you think about about this? signing uh i mean my initial thought was like wow he signed at like normal person hours this time yeah because he signed at like 12 in the afternoon right uh his twins contract last year was signed at like four in the morning or was reported at four in the morning the giants contract was like 12 30 in the morning and the the mets contract was like 2 a.m uh so it was his first time signing at normal person hours i wasn't surprised to see it happen so soon because like the met like there was no report that the mets were out up until the twins signed him like, it felt like there was a report coming any day that, oh, the Mets are out, he's a free agent again. We never got that. It was just, we're, we're still seeing what's going to happen with the Mets. Oh, just kidding, he's a twin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it didn't happen the way I thought it would, but, I mean, it's, it's I'm not surprised that he signed immediately. The same thing happened with, like, he signed with the Mets the day after he was supposed to have his presser with the Giants. So, I mean, yeah, it's not surprising to see that he immediately took an offer. Yeah, um, so yeah, he... He got, <clears throat> from his original Giants deal, he got seven years cut off, $150 million cut off. Um, but <clears throat> he's still getting a $200 million contract. I'm, I'm just, it, it makes me wonder, like, what this ankle thing is. And, like, if it, like, the worst thing, <laughs> almost the worst thing that'll happen is if he has no ankle issues for the next six years. Yeah, no, if he plays 150 <laughs> games a year, yeah, no problem. <laughs> And just right. becomes like, uh, what Marcus Simeon? Yeah, this has right. seven seven hundred plate appearances every single year. Like you could just pencil him in for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it, you know, it it uh, in this article that Dan Hayes wrote on the Athletic, um, he mentioned that like Correa wasn't suspecting that that was going to come up. He thought it might have been a different injury. Um, something to do with his back because I think he's had back problems uh in the past but I guess there was something with the ankle um and it alarmed both the Giants and the Mets two very big market teams but you know ultimately the Twins um you know keeping a pretty vital part of their team from from last year yeah an important thing to note about the contract in general uh there's vesting options for 2029 through 32 so that's an extra four years that could be added to that deal i believe it's an also another like 75 85 million or something like that um which is probably the best way to do it i mean i'm surprised the mets didn't do anything like that in their offer because you know the ankle was a concern 
And this vesting option includes games played, played yep. appearances. Like it ensures that he's on the field if he wants to get the you know the rest of that deal, or if he's going to get the rest of that deal. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, it definitely helps out, especially when you're dealing with someone like Correa, who yeah, he do, he has an injury history, and the whole reason why he was coming back to the Twins was um, was because of uh, you know deals not happening because of a, a physical thing that that was going on yeah um i think it, it's it's uh interesting to think about the twins getting him because the twins are not known for getting big free agents really and this is this is a 200 million dollar deal it's a pretty big deal i'm wondering if now the twins feel are going to feel more responsibility to put pieces around him i would hope so i mean they've been active since the deal. We'll obviously get into that later. I mean, this is pretty much just a big Twins episode today. Um, but, I mean, what? They've already paid Byron Buxton uh, until 2029 as well. Um, they have, as far as, like, upcoming upcoming free agents, it's really just Tyler Miley for next year. Um, maybe so- Sonny Gray, Joey Gallo, Kenta Maeda. But, you know, those are all, I mean, I guess kind of question marks as to whether, you know, they're a big part of the future. Yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah. I mean, there is a lot of fair concern. You know, the Twins are a team right now that is very homegrown. I think they have like the most homegrown team in the league. Uh, much of their of their starting lineup right now, with the exceptions of Correa, Joey Gallo, and Christian Vasquez, are guys that they developed. So I mean, you know, now would be the time to get some people from other organizations uh, to build a winning team around Correa while he's here. Yeah, and. <clears throat> the Twins have already bit have always uh, been sort of like a mid market team, you know, not uh, not necessarily with the you know the most cheap with the likes of the Rays, A's, Guardians, but also not close to you know the top spenders like the Yankees, Mets, Dodgers, Red Sox. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm wondering if you know uh, having a piece like this, especially maybe if he does really well particularly this year kind of inspires twins ownership to maybe do a little more to you know build around Korea and potentially uh build a, a championship contender yeah um sorry um, <laughs> yeah i mean they're especially since they're in a division that doesn't look like there's a lot to look forward to going forward you know like uh, the Royals, they have a couple pieces, but it feels like everyone that's really a part of their future is already up. Like, who are we waiting for with the Royals that hasn't already gotten Major League time, you know? True. Um, and, you know, you're still waiting for Bobby Witt Jr. To, to grow into a superstar player, for MJ Melendez to, you know, be a little more consistent, and same with Nick Prado, but I just don't know if it's ever going to be enough with this specific core to really be, like, a, a team that you need to watch out for in the future. Um, the Tigers probably still have a few more years. I mean, I think Scott Harris has had a pretty decent first offseason for himself, but, you know, there's still a long way to go with that team. The White Sox have one of the worst farm systems, maybe the worst farm system in the league, um, and things just have not panned out the way that they were supposed to. And Cleveland's kind of a wild card. You know, yeah. I mean, they're probably the most secure team in the division uh, when we're not talking <clears throat> about the Twins. But, yeah, I mean, if there's a time to pounce, it's now, because yeah. there's really no team in that division where, like, where, you know, they're the golden standard. You know, if you're in the yeah. NL West, you're looking at the Dodgers and Padres for a long time. If you're in the AL West, you've been looking at the Astros for a long time, and you might still be doing so for a while. Yeah. We don't really have that in the AL Central. 
Right. And also, the thing with the Guardians is, you know, yeah, they, they won 93 games last year. Mm-hmm. They have a very young team. However, <clears throat> they were never going to get a... They were never going to go out and sign a player of, like, Carlos Correa's caliber no. because... Their, their big signing was Josh Bell for two years. Yeah, yeah. Was, that was their big signing. It was a $32 million deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and even that was surprising. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, like, you know, with... With the central, it's kind of like whoever takes it takes it. It's not really like there's a big particular favorite. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. I mean, like things can change every single year, yeah. right? And uh, the Twins are definitely building some sort of foundation right now with Correa and Buxton. Uh, they're obviously hoping that they can finally get a full, healthy year out of Byron Buxton. Um, but other than that, I mean. Yeah, this this team is is looking like they're going for the long term. Yeah, for for sure they do. Yeah, they have some young talent, and uh, I mean Correa, he's not necessarily just coming up, but he's still pretty young at the age of twenty eight. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, that was not the only action the Twins uh, had taken since our last episode. Um, they also made a trade with the Miami Marlins, kind of out of the blue. Um, they traded Luis Arise for Pablo Lopez and two prospects. One of them was number five in the Marlins system. Um, what were your takeaways from the deal between the Twins and Marlins? I thought it was, I mean, it was definitely very out of the blue, as you mentioned. Um, so, I mean, it's really... Pablo Lopez, who has been in trade talks for a long time, he was like almost going to be a Yankee last trade deadline, now he's a twin. I was very shocked that the Twins just let go of Luis Arias like that. Um, you know, he is, mm. he, is, uh, he is the batting champion from last year, the, like not even just the American League, but just all of baseball. Um, he, has, he is a minus on defense, but overall he's a guy that makes your team better. Um, and he has three years of control and he's pretty young. I was yeah. so. I mean, there are a lot of factors that went into my confusion. Uh, Pablo Lopez had a great start to the season last year, and then he kind of mellowed out for the last few months of the season. Chris, you uh, you made the point earlier that he had the same ERA and expected ERA. Um, <laughs> that was very satisfying. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was just. I was very. I don't know. Maybe like my initial reaction was that the Marlins cleaned up in this trade like they did a great job and a lot of that might just have to do with the shock value of Arise going because I'm not surprised to see Lopez go um and I'll talk about the prospects in a little bit as well but Arise was I was not expecting that name to be in there right yeah it's it's two guys of <clears throat> pretty similar age um yeah uh Lopez going into his age 27 season uh Arise going into his age 26 season um, you know, if this if this trade was made one year ago, I think it would be pretty clear that uh, the Twins would be getting the 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 best benefit because you know Pablo mm-hmm. Lopez's value was higher, Luis Arias's uh, value, value was a little lower. was a little lower. Um, but yeah, yeah I mean, the, the main point you made was they traded a guy at their best at his best value for a guy at his lowest value. Yeah, and and, and you maybe, know. maybe maybe Pablo Lopez's value is the highest it will be from now going forward. I mean, he has two years left of control, 
and that like that like you know between two and three years of control is a pretty big deal like mm -hmm. you know once you get below two is when the value really starts going down naturally because of the the service time left um so there's a good chance that pablo lopez you know won't be this valuable ever again um but still i i was shocked to see it happen at that time yeah um yeah it was interesting because i guess i guess from a twins angle you could say like you know, we're getting a guy who probably should be doing a little bit better, um, who probably will do better next year, considering, I think, I would imagine his ERA plus dropped a little bit. I know he had a 108 ERA plus last year, which is, you know, not not great for Lopez, who has a better reputation than that. Um, but it's, it's interesting to, you know, put a rise out there at mm -hmm. his highest value, who had... You know, not only won the batting champion, but a 138 OPS plus last year, which is very good. And, you know, career highs, career highs in average exit velocity, um, career high in, you know, you know, he won the batting title, um, probably a career high in OPS plus as well. I don't have his baseball reference page pulled up and, uh, you know, career low, career low in strikeout rate. Um, I mean, he had a spectacular season, and you would want to you would want to sell high on him if he is on the market. And I don't know if they necessarily did that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, my initial take was that the Marlins won this trade, uh, and I mean, we can start talking about the prospects now that they got because they got two very they got two guys that are uh, still teenagers technically. Uh, one of them was I believe his name was Jose Salas, mm -hmm. who is a top one hundred prospect according to Fangraphs at the end of last year. I don't believe he was on uh, Baseball America's updated list because they just updated their list. Um, but according to Fangraphs, he's the number eighty nine overall prospect in or sorry eighty three overall prospect in baseball. Uh, he at age nineteen last year he played sixty one games in a ball, uh, and he had a one twenty three weighted runs created plus. Uh, he slashed two sixty seven three fifty five four twenty one. And then he moved to high A, where he played his last 48 games of the season, so about, you know, a month, two months worth of games, uh, where he slashed 230, 319, 340 for an 88-weighted runs created plus. And I don't want to say that that's, you know, telling, like. Uh, and the other one was Byron Corio, I think his name was, uh, who is 17 years old and just com uh, completed his season in <laughs> the Dominican Summer League. Interesting. Um, why is that? Oh, well... Like, that he's 17. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, the Dominican Summer League, like, it has some of the most hilarious stats because the guys who, like, are at the top of that league just put up the stupidest numbers. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a very fun... Like, the league OBP is 357, <laughs> um, which I find very amusing. Which Because, by the way, the, the league batting average is well over 100 points lower. Like, the walk rates are just hilarious. Oh. Which is, which is relatively common for... Uh, Lower level leagues. For lower level leagues, it's a lot of guys that throw harder than they have any idea what to do with it. Um, so Byron Corio played 51 games in the Dominican Summer League. He had 217 plate appearances. Uh, I'm not a fan of the fact that he had an, an 066 ISO, mm -hmm. uh, which meant that he was pretty much exclusively hitting singles. But he did have a 344, 429, 410 uh, slash line for a 134 weighted runs created plus. He had one home run. In uh in 217 plate appearances, but he did have an 11.5 percent walk rate. 
Uh, so they're really taking a gamble on these prospects. You know, they're both guys that are that we are older than. Yeah. Um, and we're probably not going to see them in the big leagues, if at all. It's going to be like 2025 at the earliest. Right. So uh, it's going to take a, a while, likely, to see who wins this trade, unless one of the two guys just completely goes off in the next couple right. of years. Yeah, so to break it down, you know, the Marlins got a guy who is one year younger and had a 138 OPS plus last year. The Twins got a guy who's one year older, um, who had a 108 ERA plus last year, but has done better. Um, And they got two prospects. How I see it, I think at least one of those prospects is going to have to work out, like, well in order for the uh, Twins to win the trade. I think they, I could see them winning the trade. I think Pablo Lopez is, is a yeah, good pitcher. Yeah, I absolutely could too. I was, was going to make my case for the Twins after you were done. But yeah, and Arise, you know, he's coming off a career year. He is still young, but, you know, he we could see, you know, a slight setback potentially, but you, you never know. And not only that, but this team is so deep with its lineup that it can easily do without Luis Arise. I mean, he played, you know, they kind of didn't really have a place to, to stick him last year. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to be playing second in Miami. We can talk about that later. But, like, without him, you have, you know, Carlos Correa at short, obviously. You have Jorge Polanco at second, who they've been pretty committed to over the last couple of years. Yeah. Uh, they have Nick Gordon DHing. That could be better, but... You know, whatever. And they have Alex Kirilov at first base, who was still a top 10 overall prospect in baseball at one point. Like, they're yeah. still waiting on him to to become an everyday player. Right, 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 right. Um, in 2021, <clears throat> we talked about uh, how he was hitting the ball really well and just not getting the results that he should have been. And he had an injury riddle of 2022. But, you know, I mean, there's still... You know, don't be surprised if Alex Kirilov blossoms into the hitter that he's supposed to be still. Yeah. Yeah, another young another young guy who, you know, could work out for the Twins, um, homegrown as well. And funny thing is he made his MLB debut in the playoffs. Yes, he did. It was funny. Um, shout out to the Twins Astros series of 2020. Yeah. Never forget. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> and yeah, like, uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's, it's definitely like most trades. It's not a thing where you can call it at the start mm-hmm. um but you know i'm favoring the uh i'm favoring the marlins a little bit at the moment yeah um but yeah it can it can definitely change it can definitely change um so yeah I, anything anything more on the trade um i mean I, I i think the twins rotation is very fun right now um it's it's sunny gray pablo lopez joe ryan tyler Male, kenta maeda yeah, like yeah. they don't have a. I don't think they have a true ace, but they have a bunch of two starters. Yes, true. That is that is correct. Uh, I think Joe Ryan could be an ace. Um, he was he looked really good for parts of last year before he got hurt and then Very... struggled a little bit afterwards. But I mean, I think there's a chance he becomes an ace this year. But coming into spring training. Uh, they have a very good rotation without an ace, which is amusing. Yeah, Ryan. Ryan has very. Excuse me. Very good walk numbers. He was uh, actually in the Nelson Cruz trade. Um, so going back to the Marlins really quick. Um, did you see what they're doing with Jazz Chisholm now? Yeah. Is he playing center? There. He's playing center field. He's never played there at any level of professional baseball. Um, I believe mm. I, I, they might have gotten quotes from him on this, where he said like he was ready to get to work there or something. 
Um, which is good. I mean, that's the best thing you can say if you're Jazz Chisholm in that situation. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, like, maybe maybe it's a reminder of when Fernando Tatis Jr. went to the outfield uh, in the middle of 2021 um, when they got uh, Adam Frazier. But <clears throat> I, th- I think with guys like that, like, you, you rely on their athleticism. They're, like, with Jazz Chisholm, he's a fast guy. He has a lot of power. I imagine he has a very good arm, considering how hard he can hit the ball. Like, he has that explosiveness. Um, so it, it would make sense, yeah, if he – to try him out at center field. However, like, you got Arise playing second, and, like, they just traded Miguel Rojas. They did. Uh, real quick, Jazz Chisholm uh, told Craig Mish, who's a beat reporter for the Marlins, he said, I will go out, play the position, and win a gold glove. So <laughs> – uh, I don't think he has any problem, or at least publicly, with playing center field. Yeah, um, his uh, he's had a very interesting like couple of years where he was awesome at the start of twenty twenty one. He got hurt uh, and then fell fell pretty far to the point where he ended the year with a below average weighted runs created plus. And then he was like on the way to becoming an all star, probably the starting all star second baseman in twenty twenty two. And then he also got hurt. He came back, and there was that thing in like mid July where. Uh, the Marlins held a team-only meeting in which, like, he got a lot of criticism for, like, hmm. just the way he was acting in the clubhouse and the way he was carrying himself. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, he's... Publicly, he's kept a pretty positive attitude about everything. I mean, that can only tell you a part of the story, but, you know, they're going to do it. They're going to try him out in center field this year, and uh, I, I hope they don't break him because he's a really, really good player. Yeah. Uh, and he's also a guy that I think a lot of people can get behind if he's, you know, playing a full healthy year. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And um, like I'm, he has, he has face of the franchise material, even though right now it's very much Sandy Alcantara. Right. Exactly. Uh, when I'm looking at with Jazz Chisholm, I was wondering why they might not put him at short, which is <clears throat> what he came up as. He came up as a shortstop, I believe. Yeah. And um, currently, they have Joey Wendell playing there according yeah, to fan graphs they, they also have gene segura who they just signed mm-hmm. and they traded miguel rojas who had been like the face of the franchise yeah. actually ironically uh, for yeah a while. and he'd, he he had been playing at shortstop with the marlins for um for quite a while but they traded him to the dodgers i forget the return on it but it probably wasn't anything too consecutive too significant but career-wise, Jazz Chisholm at shortstop has negative four defensive runs saved and negative nine uh, outs above average at the at the mm-hmm. shortstop position. At second base, it's very positive, but you know they just traded for a rise, so I guess they're just trying to put him somewhere that's not shortstop um, and seeing what happens. I guess they just don't trust him at shortstop, is what is what that's saying. Yeah. I don't know. I just hope they can find something that works for him because, like I meant, like the Marlins, for years their major major issue has been offense. Uh, yeah. Like their rotation is great. You know, Sandy at the top of it and a bunch of young guys and also Johnny Cueto. Uh, <laughs> following is fun. They've had a pretty underrated bullpen. Like Dylan Floro was has been very good over the last couple of years. Tanner Scott, uh, Richard Blyer, you know, guys like that have been yeah. have been solid. Uh, maybe this is the year we get the return of Sixto Sanchez. Who knows? Uh, yeah, who knows? Who knows? He's, so, he's um, 
He's still listed as a prospect. Is he really? Because he didn't get. Yeah, I guess innings. so. Um, it does. It does say he had soldier, shoulder shoulder surgery on October third of last year. Um, yeah. Not Tommy John, so that's encouraging. Yeah. Um, Max Mayer did have Tommy John though, so that's a that was a tough setback for them. Um, Yuri Perez is probably coming up this year and joining that rotation. He's he's a like a top top prospect in baseball. Mm-hmm. I think he's definitely top ten in the league. Um, so hopefully he can make an impact this year. But most importantly, hopefully the offense can can pick up uh, the rest of the pitching because yeah. that's a major issue. They had, they've had routinely one of the worst offenses in the league last year. I mean, if you look at some of the lineups they put out towards like the second half of the season when G- when Chisholm was hurt, it was bad. Um, and you know, like they've automatically they've already improved uh, quite considerably. At the top of the lineup alone, with Arise, Segura, Chisholm batting third, Garrett Cooper batting fourth, who is very streaky, but he's you know he's yeah. a solid hitter. Ivy Sal Garcia, who they're going to need a, a bounce back year from. Jorge Soler, who they're going to need to keep healthy. Um, Joey Wendell, who you know he his peak might be past him, but he can still be a pretty decent bat at times. Brian De La Cruz, who Chris and I both love. Yeah, uh, he yeah, led the league nice. led the league in sweet spot percentage last year. Yeah, um, Jacob Stallings, I mean whatever catcher. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> but th- this is a team that can put out a respectable enough offense to go along with that pitching, and it's going to be hard for them to compete in that division. But they're at least putting the steps together to do so. Yeah, yeah. There, I mean, the arise thing is is big. I mean, he's arguably. In, unless it's Chisholm, he's arguably already the best offensive player on that. Right team. now he is, but I think it's subject to change if Chisholm can stay healthy. Yeah, like no one else has that shot though. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot there's a lot to build on. Um, like I'd be I'd still be surprised if they got a 90 OPS plus this year. I think <laughs> they had what was it last year? It was not great. Um, <laughs> Last year, their offense. Um, the last two years, even their offense has just been miserable. I can tell you, they're they're weighted runs created plus while you're getting their OPS plus. The Marlins OP. They had an 88 weighted runs created plus. They had an 86 yeah. OPS plus in 2021 as well. Uh, it was also ugly. Yeah. They so, had a 83. Right. It's you know there's that's that's been a a common flaw for the Marlins. Um, I mean, they've seen great pitching performances from Alcantara, Pablo Lopez at points, Trevor Rogers almost won Rookie of the Year. Um, you know, they have Edward Cabrera, who has yeah. looked prom- who has looked filthy uh, from time to time. Jesus Lazardo looked very good but yeah. before he got hurt. You have Perez coming up this year. And Johnny Cueto had a career-defining year last year. And I think he'll benefit very well from that ballpark, too. Yeah, because yeah, he's yeah. always been more of a fly ball pitcher. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, if you can keep enough of him in the park, yeah, it's it's um, yeah, the Marlins. I mean, unfortunately, like since the trades of uh, Stanton, Yelich, Real Muto, Ozuna, yeah, they haven't had really much offensive explosion at all. I mean, the the only like good piece they got from those trades is their best pitcher. Yep. Which, don't get me wrong, I mean... They won the trade, no doubt. Yeah. This might be a hot take. I think think that trade was worse for the Cardinals than a lot of other trades 
that we've ever seen. Yeah. Like, it might be up there with the Archer trade that everyone loves to crap on. True, true, yeah. Especially with, like... Like, Austin Meadows is not on the Rays anymore. Uh, Tyler Glass now has not been able to stay healthy for really a full season. The only quote-unquote full season he's been healthy for is 2020. Yeah. Um, which, you know, that doesn't count. Um, and then Shane Baz got Tommy John. Exactly. Like, they, could they have, you know, could they have given up less to get Archer? Absolutely. Yeah. But it's not like the results have been that drastic. It just looked like, it was easy to see, like, it looked really, really bad in 2019 and 2020. Because yeah. Austin Meadows was, was an all-star. He ended up putting up, like, over a 900 OPS. Um, Glass now was... Glass now was one of the best pitchers in the league when yeah, he was healthy yes. in multiple different seasons. So it looked really bad for, like, a year. But now things have cooled off for... Yeah. And Mozuna struggled in St. Louis. Um, yeah, Mozuna did. Like, he was around a league average bat. He had, in 20... In his two years with St. Louis, he had a 107 OPS plus. Yeah. Like, that's not, that's not what we want to see. Yep. Yep, yep. 106 and 109, respectively, in his two seasons. He had a 149 OPS plus before coming over to St. Louis, <laughs> and he dropped his OPS plus by, third, by what, 43 points? Oof. He dropped his OPS by 160 points. Yeah. Meanwhile, Alcantara is, like, always... He's, Always at the very least, like top ten in innings. Yeah, uh, he was he was in his own league in innings this year. Yes, he won unanimous Cy Young. Uh, like he was, no doubt about it, the best pitcher in the league this year across both leagues. I would say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, two hundred twenty-eight and two-thirds innings pitched, a two-two-two-eight ERA. It's very satisfying that uh, in the Cy Young races this year, Sandy pitched two hundred twenty-eight and two-thirds innings, and he had a two-two-eight ERA. And on the flip side, Verlander had a 175 ERA and 175 innings pitched. Yes. It's yep. very satisfying. Very satisfying. Alcantara's had 16.8 wins above replacement with the Marlins, while Ozuna might have had, like, four. We just need a guy to pitch, like, 99 innings. Yeah. And have an 099 ERA. Yeah, right. One of those, like, multiple inning relievers. <laughs> um, St. Louis... Like Edwin Diaz or something like that. Yeah. Uh, Ozuna had 4.6 war with the Cardinals, so it's a difference of about 12 so far. Um, and Alcantara's only going to have get more. Um, but yeah, anything more with this uh, Marlins trade? Um, I really don't think I have anything more. I don't know. I mean, the two prospects I'm not too sure about. One of them is top 100 at age 19, which is good. Yeah. Um, but even then, like, that... You just never know. You really cannot ever It's not tell. like it's a top five guy in the league. Yeah. But, you know, he could he could shoot up there, but he could mm-hmm. also just disappear. Like, exactly. Like, like we could we could forget, yeah, like, we could forget about the people giving up in that trade. Right. In two years, one year, six yeah. months. It could, yeah, very well. Um, one thing I think we forgot to mention it just before the show, we could touch on it briefly. It's not the biggest news in the world, but um, Trevor Story getting like a elbow surgery. Mm-hmm. He's going to be out for probably a good amount, like a really good amount of yeah. He 2023. was uh, he was asked yesterday if he was going to play at all th- in that in 2023, and he said like he plans on it. Yeah. So, however, but yeah, still not great. However, when you're asking like if you will play, 
if you're gonna play it's gonna be maybe a month or two yeah so that's not great and it it really makes the xander bogart's situation look a lot worse even though you didn't really know it was gonna happen you knew there was mm-hmm. there was a previous injury with story in 2021 um but you didn't and know in 2022 that- um people were complaining about how like so it was uh what was it his elbow or shoulder yeah his elbow and like he had elbow issues last season as well and people were questioning you know why didn't they do anything earlier turns out this is a whole separate thing like story fe- story started feeling pain around christmas yeah um i will say um the red sox were like on the brink of interesting after the devers extension uh and then obviously this was a major blow yeah um the Red Sox are holding their winter weekend a few miles from us right now, Chris. Yeah. And last night they held, you know, like John Henry spoke with the media for the first time since the Betch trade. Heim Bloom, you know, did a panel right in front of hundreds of fans and he was booed pretty relentlessly because whatever. Um, <laughs> Henry was as well. Henry, I think, got louder boos, which is more satisfying. But um, part I, w- I kind of wish we could live in a universe where winter weekend happened uh before the Devers extension, just to see how bad it could have oh gotten. Oh my god! Because <laughs> I mean, and in all the conversations I had watched, like on Twitter, because I wasn't there last night, but every every single point of negativity negativity turned back into. But hey, we signed Rafi, and it was great, and he's gonna be with us for eleven years. And I would love to see the universe where that didn't happen, and there was nothing positive happening with the Red Sox. Yeah, right. <laughs> and Bloom comes out like, hey, we're going to win some games this year, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be a very interesting universe, no doubt about it. Um, like, like, if we could have lived in a universe where they signed Devers in, like, mid-February, that would have been awesome. Yes, yes. I, I mean, then Devers would have... <laughs> Henry and Bloom would have heard the booze and they would have... They would have called him on stage. <laughs> yeah. be like, you want 11 years, 330 million? <laughs> you want $600 million right now? <laughs> we don't care. I'm tired hey, of please, this. Please, look at these people. Like, we get it. We, we messed up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but this this story thing, it, it does make this Bogart situation look worse because mm-hmm. the whole thing with story was like, oh, you know, if Bogart leaves, he can put story at shortstop. Looks like you can't do that. Looks like you can't even put him at second base. He's I mean, his arm anywhere. his arm strength went went down from like the fortieth percentile to the eighth percentile last year. So even yeah. that, like, you can you really even put Story at short? Yeah, I guess I guess that was Which, a, you know maybe the elbow will help that out. I mean, I'm I'm sure you know to throw well you need a good elbow. Yeah, that probably helps. Yeah, but I mean, di- I think different guys definitely react to it dif- differently. Yeah, like I know Syndergaard got. Tommy John surgery. His fastball velocity went down by like three miles per hour. It's so sad. But guys like I don't know, like Matt Harvey and Steven Strasburg. Even Verlander. Verlander, yeah. like it didn't really affect them. No, um, Verlander. I mean, it may, maybe it made him better. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> he was holding his healthy arm was holding him back actually. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So, but the thing now with the Red Sox is they're saying they're going to put Kike Hernandez at shortstop. Um, which I don't know. I don't think it's going to be a disaster. No, I just liked him in center field. It was like, good. He had very good defensive numbers out there. Um, yeah, for sure, absolutely. And now there's Adam Duvall. There's Adam Duvall, who they signed for one year, seven million dollars. Yeah. So who it doesn't has... look like they're going to be going after uh, Brian Reynolds. It's, that was oh, like no, one... that was never going to happen. Yeah, uh, uh, I was. Yeah, you want to trade Brian Bayo? 
Yeah, like no. Miguel Blyce. Yeah. Not yet. Not at yeah. this point. Um, so, yeah, like, I guess that's their temporary fill-in. And Duvall's... Duvall seems like he'll be... He'll be fun. He'll be interesting. Yeah. Not the worst guy. Um, but yeah, it sets, sets the Red Sox back a little bit. It, it's really testing their depth, no doubt, considering they lost both their middle infielders um, in Bogarts and Story. So, you know, uh, you know, it, not great for the Red Sox, but... The Red Sox are in, like, the like the bottom echelon of the, of the interesting tier. Yes. Like, there are a few teams that I'd like to put there. Like, the Red Sox are, like, just barely making it in. Right. But they were, like, easily there before the story injury, and that really sets them back. Like, I'm thinking most of the AL East, I think, is in the interesting category. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, even the Orioles. Yeah. They're sort of interesting. Um, and we'll get into that later. But I'm, I'm almost, speaking of which, I'm almost done with uh, my players to watch. I have five teams left. That's great. Yeah. That's great. I've, I've listed off a couple guys. Right. Who I will refer back to when I go to when I when I start prepping in March. Yeah. When we start doing these things. Or actually, you know, it's funny. Well, yeah. like we will have equal results. I mean, this year particularly, we had relatively equal results with our players to watch. You start in March. I start in November. <laughs> Miss sometimes even October. Yeah. Well, sometimes it's just it's hard not to just find a guy very interesting. Yeah. Love at first sight. Literally, I've had a couple guys like that this off season where I'm like, oh my god. Yeah. Yep. 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 <laughs> I can't wait. Just, I mean, the, the amount of thoughts I have that I've been keeping from you mm-hmm. for a few months now. It's got to be hard. It is. Yeah. 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 For sure. I, no doubt. It's hard to hard to reserve some thoughts. Um, all right. So that does it for the MLB. Um, for the you know kind of current MLB news, except for the Hall of Fame. Um, this is the last episode before the Hall of Fame election, and, you know, we like to get into that. Yes. Do we want to do live reactions again? Um. Where are you Tuesday at, like, 6 p.m.? Um, I guess Meredith is going to have some say on that. But fair prob- enough. Probably, I'll probably be here. Good. Most likely. All right, fair enough. Um, but, yeah, I don't... I don't think I should be doing anything unless I'm covering a game, but I only cover one game a week. But anyway, uh, where are we at? I feel very nervous. I think there are so many different outcomes. I think there's four different outcomes. I think there's a chance no one gets in. I think there's a chance only Scott Rowland gets in. I think there's a chance only Todd Helton gets in, believe it or not. And I think there's even a chance that both Scott Rowland and Todd Helton get in. Nice. Um... But it's going to take a lot. My biggest concern right now is that as of January 21st at 4.45 p.m., three days and 75 minutes before the election, uh, we only have uh, 173 uh, public ballots, and that is a low number for this time. Last year, there were 205 ballots revealed prior to the election. The year before that, coincidentally, there was also exactly 205 ballots revealed prior to the election. Um, and that means, that means, well, first of all, we're only at 43.7% of the vote actually turned in. So we don't even know half the vote yet. Yeah. Or, and we're, and we're not going to, like, we're not going to get more than like maybe, maybe 10 more ballots from now until the election. Um, and I don't like that at all because that means there's more private ballots than usual. Yeah. Which Uh, is interesting. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe there's just less people voting in general. I think that would be the best case scenario. 
given this situation. But my biggest concern right now, without a doubt, is the lack of public ballots that are currently out because you, we really don't see a huge wave of ballots in the days, like in the last days leading up to the election. Like, yeah. this is kind of what it is, minus a couple others that we will see later. Um, but right now, uh, Scott Rowland sits at 80.3% of the votes, um, which is, you know, obviously it's over the 75% threshold. Um, last year, he had an 8% difference between uh, pre-results and the actual final. Uh, so if he's going to have exactly that this year, he would need to be at 83%. And yep. I just don't see him getting there, which means we're going to have to count on him to get more of the private vote. And for whatever reason, the private ballots specifically hate him. Yeah, Like, they hate him more than they hate most other players. Last year, uh, just to give you an idea, last year, Scott Rowland got a total of... What was his name? Of 34.2% of the private vote. That is, like, lower than a lot of other people. Um, just to give you an idea, Todd Helton had 41.1% of the private vote. Uh, Jeff Kent had 28%. Scott Rowland was only, like, six points above Jeff yeah. Kent. That's, and the, you know, the public vote had, does not have it that way. Billy Wagner had a higher percent. Uh, Manny Ramirez, actually, Alex Rodriguez. Alex Rodriguez had a 8% higher rate of private ballots than Scott Rowland. That's weird. And you'd think the private ballots hate A-Rod. Yeah. He actually did better on them than Scott Rowland, who is, you know, the most likely candidate. I Honestly, I, I might even lean towards saying that Todd Helton is the most likely candidate to get in this year. I think there's an easier path for Todd Helton to get in on his own than Scott Rowland. Yeah, that's interesting. What's uh, Todd Helton at on the public ballots right now? Uh, he's exactly one vote behind Scott Rowland. Interesting. So there's, like I mentioned, 173 uh, public ballots that have been released. Scott Rowland has 139 votes at 80.3%. Todd Helen has 138 at 79.8%. And last year, he had a 5% difference between uh, public and private ballots. So if he had that exactly again, right now, he'd be at 74.8%. Yeah. Which means he'd have to do slightly, slightly, slightly better on the private ballots than he did last year. Right. Uh, and the private ballots gave him 41% last year, which is pretty good. Yeah, like for for private ballot sake, which of which there were seventy three, by the way. Um, yeah. Like I said, I think there's a better chance if we're going to see one candidate get in through the BBWA that it's Todd Helton, which I can't believe I'm saying that. I would have never in my life guessed that. But he's had such a huge year. He's plus thirty right now, uh, in the net gain uh, category, whereas Roland is only at plus eleven. He really hasn't done. I mean, I, I say this as if he has any control over it, but he really has not won over a lot of voters that were previously not putting him down. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, it's I I really couldn't believe it. I thought he was going to be a shoe in for the Hall of Fame this year uh, with a you know with a much de more depleted ballot than we had last year with like Sosa, Schilling, Bonds, Clemens all leaving and Ortiz leaving. Like I thought that was going to clear up so much room for people to start voting Roland, but it just hasn't happened the way that I hoped it would. Right. Yeah, it's, um, I guess the angle with Helton doing better on private ballots and doing better in general is, I think, for, you know, a private ballot type, which is, you know, maybe a little less knowledgeable of baseball and maybe not proud of their votes necessarily, and maybe mm -hmm. more of an older school mentality, you know, granted, I'm assuming things, this isn't, this isn't true for all 200 
you know, private ballots that are going to come in. But it's easier to grasp Todd Helton's greatness mm -hmm. because of, you know, count statistics um, and thing of, things of that nature. You know, even if you consider the Coors Field aspect, you know, he still had 2,500 hits, 592 doubles, which I think is like top 20 all time. Mm -hmm. Uh, 369 home runs, over 1,400 RBI, um, over 1,300 walks, um, 316 lifetime average. So as opposed to Roland, who, you know, he didn't have as great offensive statistics and as great uh, count statistics, even though in both of our opinion, he was the better mm -hmm. player considering, you know, he had amazing defense, over 20 defensive wins above replacement, um, and, you know, in, in a basic sense, I think he had eight or nine gold gloves. Um, so, I, But I think, going back to Helton, it's kind of easier to grasp why he was great as opposed to Roland. With with Scott Roland, you almost have to mention wins above replacement. Yeah. Where you don't necessarily have to with Todd Helton. Exactly. Because I think, like, people just hear wins above replacement and a trigger goes off. And it's like, ah, that's stupid stuff. I can't stand it. Wins above mm -hmm. war. What the heck is war? Whereas, like, Helton, you can be like, oh, he had 2,500 hits, he had a lifetime 316 average. Yeah. And, I mean, I don't know, I th I'd like to think that the core's barrier is breaking. Like, yeah. isn't it kind of stupid to punish a guy that, <clears throat> I mean, Todd, I mean, yes, Todd Helton did choose to stay in Colorado. You know, he could have not signed an extension or signed as a free agent, or I don't remember, I don't know how exactly his contract details worked out, uh, you know, 20 years ago, but... He played there for 17 years, and he still was a very good player on the road, and he was an amazing player at home. Like, he had yeah. Barry Bonds-type numbers at home. One thing that I will say that I think is encouraging for Scott Rowland, so one thing I have not mentioned yet is that last year, there were 116 ballots that were revealed publicly after the results. Scott uh, Scott Rowland got 67.2% of this vote. Hmm. Um, if he can get that up to 70 this year... You know, even with the private ballots being what they are, I don't think he's losing any of the private vote. So if he can get that up a little bit, I think there's a shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, going back to the Coors thing, it helps tremendously that Larry Walker was voted in. Yes, yes. Oh my God, yes. Because I believe it was uh, it was Helton's second year when when Walker got in. Yeah, uh, and he's been making tremendous gains, like uh, the 2021. Uh, ballot, which is the year that no one got in, aka the first year post Walker getting in. Helton had the biggest gain of anyone there. Mm -hmm. uh, like that was the year where I was like, okay, it's gonna happen eventually with him. Yeah. Uh, last year he had a, a little bit of a more quiet year, but so did a lot of people because it was such a crowded ballot. You know, no one really had a huge gain last year. Uh, and this year, you know, now that we're back to having players with big gains, Helton's at the forefront of it once again. Yeah. Uh, he's in his fifth year on the ballot now, so, I mean, he's going to get in. Yeah. I mean, there's no other way of saying it, unless he happens to miss by fractions this year and he outs himself in a really horrible way. Right. But, <laughs> you know, just stay quiet. Um, yeah. And he'll find his way in there. But I would love to see it this year. I mean, I think, honestly, I'm very, very scared of, of what a shutout means this year. Obviously, it's just bad. It's just a bad look say that none of those players are Hall of Fame worthy because there are plenty, but there's also such a loaded first-year class coming in next year, and we're going to see another year where probably not a lot of people make huge gains because, I mean, Adrian Beltre is going to be on the ballot next year, and he's going to be a first-ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think anyone's disagreeing with that. I think there's a chance he gets 90% of the vote. You have Chase Udley coming on next year, who is going to take a few years, but ultimately I think will find his way in. You have Joe Maurer coming in. I think he'll take like two, three, maybe four years to get in. 
Like, he was, you know, as a catcher, to be, you know, a solid offensive player, to have one of the great peaks uh, that the position has ever seen. You know, his 2009 season alone might be Hall of Fame worthy. Um, You have, obviously, well, I mean, those are the big three, but also David Wright will be getting some votes. I think he'll be getting enough votes to stay on the ballot, especially from the New York writers. Um, You know, he's a likable guy that just happened to, you know, not be able to stay on the field, not through any real fault of his own. I think Matt Holliday will stay on the ballot to, at the very least last year. He had an 889 career OPS. Um, you know, I don't know if he'll ever get in. You know, I, I'm still on the fence of, of if I'm ever going to vote for him or not. Um, but he had the offense to get it done, and I think that he will at least stay on the ballot next year. He needs 20 votes. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, Omar Vizquel only has 15 votes. Wow. Like, he'll get in because the private ballots love him. Like he yeah. gets, he gets more of the he gets like you doubles. He'll, he'll stay on. Oh, he'll easily stay on. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> but it's very satisfying to see that we're going to get to the election and and not know technically if Omar Vizquel got enough votes to even stay on the ballot. True. But he will. Yeah. Right. 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 Um. Very true. Yeah. I was not to derail the conversation, but maybe mm-hmm. just a tangent. I was literally thinking about this, like maybe a day or two after Hoopal ended, but mm-hmm. I was like, the being on the Rockies is just such a raw deal. It because is. either you're a pitcher and you're just going to do worse and you're never going to succeed because literally maybe the top two pitchers in Rockies history are like Herman Marquez and, Hoop- and, yeah. and Ubaldo Jimenez. Or you get you have a fantastic offensive career, but you don't get enough credit for it. Ever. Yeah. If Helton gets in... This year or next, because, I mean, he's going to get in this year or next. I'm so excited to have a break of the Coors conversations. Yeah. Because, like, the next, like, who's, like, probably Nolan Arnato is the next player that will be getting serious Hall of Fame. Maybe Matt Holiday. I don't know. But he also succeeded on the Cardinals. And also, I don't think that, regardless of where he played, if Matt Holiday is really going to be getting that much consideration. True. Yeah. Uh... He played. He played most of his career in St. Louis and had a 138 weighted runs created plus there. Yeah, um, but he just he had no no defense, no yeah. base running particularly. No. Yeah. yeah, he had a, a wins above replacement below my line of consideration. Yeah, uh, but he did have a pretty cool peak. Yeah, um, 132 OPS plus, um, which actually is not far off from Helton's but he did it in less played appearances and it, and seeing the difference a, is so funny because he had a 936 career uh, OPS with the Rockies and had a 131 OPS plus meanwhile he had an 874 OPS with the Cardinals like <laughs> 70 points lower but he had a higher weighted runs created plus yeah. slash OPS plus because of the environment that's funny yeah um, yeah no I do agree with you playing with the Rockies is such a lose-lose and not, it's not like you're winning games either true yeah. Like they've, I think uh, Baseball Prospectus um, released like a list of uh, articles that'll be coming out in their next book, uh, like going into the 2023 season. And the essay about the Rockies was like, why are they still an expansion team after 30 years? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, and they signed a huge deal, but it, for not the right, it, it wasn't the right guy. <laughs> No. With Chris Bryant, like I feel I like, I, like I, pr- I always appreciate seeing teams that don't spend a lot go for big contracts, but it sucks when it has to be contracts like that where it's like, what are you doing? Right? <laughs> Why did you do that? Uh, 
Man. We're still waiting for his first home run at Coors Field as a Rocky. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's nuts. Um, yeah, like, it's it's a it's a raw deal, no doubt. And it's just... And it's really the only sport where, like, the, the like, uh, atmosphere or the... The altitude can have that much of an effect, unless you're like, I guess a the, kicker. The Broncos kicker, yeah. Yeah, a kicker in the NFL, like Matt Prater has the, or he used to have the, um, the longest time record, but like, it was in Denver. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Is there any studies on if it affects like the quarterback? I don't think so. Because that what is that what Russell I mean, Wilson can chop it up to? Yeah, <laughs> that's why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dude, I got to throw the ball much more easily. I was still thrown off. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, it looks like, what, Roland, Roland possible, possibly getting in, but not looking great. Helton, Helton possibly getting in. I'm gonna. I'm giving it 50-50 on both. Sounds if good. If we can, dude, if we if both of them get in, like, I will cry actual tears. <laughs> like, that yeah. would, no, seriously, that would be the happiest day of my life. That would be, it would be pretty nice. It'd be pretty nice to. It'd be such a. You know, it's like, a, very, a big sigh of relief. It would be a big sigh of relief, and it also makes next year so much easier. Yes, very true. So very much true. easier. Um, but yeah, I I need it. I need Roland and Helton, twenty twenty three. Although yeah. I don't think it's, I don't think it's likely both get in. Really, I just want one to get in. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't. I don't even care which one it is because both of them will get in, someday. Yeah. True. Especially like they're not necessarily on like their eighth or ninth. Time. No, Roland's on his sixth year. Uh, Helton is on his fifth. Um, if we can talk about some other storylines on this ballot, Billy Wagner currently sits at seventy three point four percent. He was at fifty one percent last year. I would love to see him get to sixty five percent this year. I think that would be the dream. Yep. Because um, he also he had a almost no difference between his uh, pre results and actual results last year. Um, he had 0.7%. So last year, uh, he had, uh, well, before the, before the results, he had 51.7% of the vote. He ended at 51%. I mean, hypothetically, if that pattern follows itself, like, who says they can't, you know, he can't get to 70%. Yeah. I, I'm not counting on it. I'm thinking he gets more into the range of 65. But if he goes into his eighth, if he goes into his ninth year with 65% of the vote, I like his chances. Yeah, and also I guess the benefit of guys, you know, I know next year is in his 10th year, but guys who go into their 10th year, I think, see a bit yep. of a leap. Yeah, I mean, we've seen it with Jeff Kent this year. We saw it famously with Fred McGriff, uh, who is now a Hall of Famer, but, like, it was Larry. sort of like a pity vote. We saw it with Larry Walker. We saw it with Edgar Martinez. Yeah. Um, yeah. Outside of steroid guys, guys who get to their 10th year usually get an, an overwhelming batch of support. Yes. Yes, for sure. Um, Kurt Schilling as well, but that was a different story. Well, yeah, very different. Um, and what are what are we at with uh, Andrew Jones? So Andrew Jones is at sixty nine point four percent of the that's, vote. Very nice. That's pretty good. Um, yeah, he's he's been gaining some traction. And this is his fifth year. Um, this is his sixth year. Sixth. Year. Um, okay. He was at forty one point four percent last year. Like mm-hmm. I have to re remind myself how, like. How much? How many people don't support him? It's crazy. Yeah. I want him to get to fifty this year. I think that's the goal. Yeah. Um, and he's gained twenty four votes, so realistically, he should be getting there. Maybe even fifty five percent. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, I think 50 to 55% is the range we're looking for with Andrew Jones, and he's got to just keep growing every single year. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I don't, unfortunately, I can't say that I'm confident he's going to get in, period, via BBWAA uh, at this point. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, a, a gain of, if he gets to 55, that's fantastic. That is huge. Yeah. Um, I just, you know, I'd like to see him get to 50 first. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and also, I guess, a, a factor with next year is, like, I guess, if you're cheering on the Hall of Fame like a team, you got you want to root for, like, guys like, what, Maurer, Utley, and Beltre, all to get in so that the future ones is going to have more room for Jones yeah. and... I, I would hope Roland and Helton are in there already, yeah. but like Wagner. Yeah, um, Wagner. One thing I'm very intrigued to see is uh, where Carlos Beltran ends up landing, um, because my gut says private ballots probably tear him down a little bit. But right now he's at 56.1 percent of the vote. If he can debut at like 45 percent, that's solid. Yeah, like I I'm happy with that. Right. Uh, for him, because he's got nine years to gain 30% of the vote. Like, he can do it. Yep. Um, especially because I think, honestly, I think as the years pass, the Astros thing is going to become more and more irrelevant. Right. Like, no new information has come out about that basically since 2019, maybe 2020, because that's when the report came out. Yeah. Uh, and we still don't even really know for sure uh, if, if Beltron actually had anything to do with it, because, like... You know, the only real effect it's had on him was the Mets managerial job, but he resigned from that. Yeah. Like, that was him walking away because he's like, this is going to be a distraction for me. Like, I just want to manage this team. Clearly, I'm not going to be able to do that right now. So I'm going to, for the benefit of you guys, I'm going to step away. He was not fired from that job. Yes. Um, but I would, I very much want to see him debut at a nice number. Um, yeah. I and know. also... At- I don't think that really influences the writers that much, but the Astros winning now helps. <laughs> That's true. It helps That's relieve true. that tension from 2017. Yeah, because like no longer can you say they couldn't do it without the trash cans. Right. Um, and not only that, but I've mentioned this before, but it was Carlos Beltran's like age 40 season. Like who yeah. cares if if he was cheating that year? Because you know what? Yeah, when he wasn't cheating, you know, and on any reports, the entire rest of his career. Yeah. He, he wasn't cheating when he was hitting a home run every game of the 2004 playoffs. Literally, and, and it's not like people are really even considering, like, even the years leading up to 2017 on their ballot. It's like, you know, I, I remember in 2016 with the Rangers, you know, he was good, so I'm going to put him on my ballot. Like, yeah. no one's doing that, so no one's doing it for 2017. Yeah, either. no one's considering his Yankees career. No, no. Like, if people are considering his Royals career, his Mets career, his Astros prior career, his first yeah. Astros career... Uh, I'm I'm definitely one of those guys. He's definitely one of those guys where I'm curious to know which hat he goes in with if he goes in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, um, it would be interesting. I feel like Mets, Mets or Royals, has to be. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think the it's a weird thing because at least um, with Zach Greinke, he, he went back to the Royals. He like. But yeah, and before he went to the Royals, it was a question mark because like he had you know his best year there, but he didn't <clears throat> he didn't like have attention on him necessarily with the Royals. Yeah. Even though he spent like the most time there, but now that he went back, I think he'll yeah. he'll go with the Royals. Uh, is he a free agent now? 
Because um, if he is, yeah. that's also a low. Because okay, like let's say, Granky is. A, I think he's a free agent now. Let's say he doesn't sign with the team and doesn't pitch again. That's a pretty loaded first year class with him, Pujols, and Molina. Yeah, yeah. Right? Did sure. anyone else retire this year? Um, like no, no, like no one, no one that's a Hall of Fame worthy. Yeah, no. Um, because I'm I'm looking at the you know the the next few years because so. Next year, we've mentioned the class that we have. 2019, or the, the class of 25, I guess, first-year class, it's Ichiro, who will get in first ballot. Um, mm-hmm. he, he'll probably get 90% of the vote, too. CeCe Zabathia, I think, will get in first ballot, uh, if not second ballot. Yeah. And then Dustin Pedroia, who I think will kind of hang around for a while on the ballot. Yeah. I don't know if he's ever going to get in or not, but I, I could see him. I could see him going with, like, a Jeff Kent route. Yep. Where, like, yep. he's hanging there for a while, but he just never really gets there. True. 2020, uh, the 2026 year, uh, Cole Hamels, and that's probably it. Yeah. And I might be the loudest Cole Hamels supporter out there, mm-hmm. uh, but that's fine. And then 2021, it's really just Buster Posey. Yep. Um, no one else really of note retired then that I can think of. And then 2022, it's Pujols, Molina, possibly Granky. And then the year after that, <laughs> the, the I think it would be 2027. Uh, or maybe even 28. You got Miguel Cabrera retiring after this year. He'll get in first year. Yep. Um, well, I believe Adam Wainwright's retiring after this year. I have no idea if he's going to be in the Hall of Fame or not, but he will be on the ballot for more than one year, for sure. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Um, so i got to love looking ahead to when we're 28 years old talking about the Hall of Fame. Yes. And we're talking about guys that we grew up watching. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, right. Um yeah, it's sure. cool. It's cool, like that we're seeing these guys. Like we're talking about these guys, where it's like I remember their peak. You know, like I'm talking about Scott Rowland. I watched him play, but I watched the talent of his career. Same with Todd yeah. Helton. Uh, Billy Widener, I didn't even really watch. Yeah, um, I've I've made this point a couple times, but like my memories of Scott Rowland is like Blue Jays and Reds, yeah. which is not his peak. My memories of Andrew Jones was like was like the Yankees. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, I I don't really have any... I, like, yeah, my memories of Todd Helton were, you know, end of his career where he wasn't... I remember watching guy. him retire, and I was like, oh, that's pretty cool, because he retired the same year as Rivera. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, wow, nobody cares about his retirement because of Mariano Rivera's retirement. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, who else? Billy Wagner. Um, I saw him when I was eight on the Red Sox. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Bobby he- Abreu, even... Yeah, Bobby Abreu, like, um, just being on the I Angels. mean, honestly, like, we're kind of seeing it now with guys, like, that are going to be one-and-dones. Like, you know, I remember I have plenty of Mike Napoli memories. Yeah, uh, yeah. He's on the ballot this year. He's He won't be getting a single vote, mm-hmm. which is fine. I don't think anyone's... Uh, by the way, someone voted for R.A. Dickey today, uh, and I read their ballot, and it was the funny... It was the stupidest, funniest thing ever, because it was a guy that put down 10 players, so he took away someone else's vote. Uh, to go for R.A. Dickey. You know, like, I remember a few years ago, Bob Nightingale put uh, LaTroy Hawkins on his ballot because he was such a nice guy. Yeah. And I got mad at it for a little bit, but I was like, you know what? He voted for eight people. Like, he didn't take away someone else's vote to vote for LaTroy Hawkins. Yeah. This guy, uh, in his column, talked about how he was, like, he was one of the most unique, uh, like, pitchers like, ever, which is, I guess, true. I mean, he won a Cy Young as a knuckleballer. But, like, the story he told was so funny because it was it was during his Rangers career, because this was a Rangers writer, 
notoriously not R.A. Dickey's peak. Yep. Not that he was bad there, but, like, I mean, it was before he was good. Buck Showalter was his manager at the time of the story that was being told, so that's how, that's how far yeah. away it was. Where... He got, like, knocked around in a start with the Rangers, and he was, like, trying to stay in the rotation, so he was, like, obviously very disappointed in his start, and Buck came out to get him and said, see you in five days, and he was, like, happy, because he was, like, oh, I'm still in the rotation, and then he, he told that story and just goes, I'm putting him on my Hall of Fame ballot this year, and that was the end of the article, and I was, like, that's it? That's your old, like, you didn't give us any reason, and you said, here's a pretty cool story about his career. Anyway, he's the on my Hall of Fame ballot. Book Showalter was nice to him. <laughs> yeah. This is why I'm putting yeah. him in the Hall of let Fame. Me, let me find it. I should, I need to find this guy, because this was a wild ride today. Yeah, that's interesting. And he, and he put down ten players. Like, I, you don't get me wrong, I, I try not to knock people. T.R. Sullivan uh, of Rangers Today, who put this ballot out today, um, you know, like, I don't have a problem with the ballot itself. Okay, so, R.I. Dickey, he wrote a separate column about him, uh, titled, R.I. Dickey for the Hall of Fame. Actually, he's in a class by himself. Uh, <laughs> so this is T.R. Sullivan of the, formerly of the Fort Worth Star, uh, and MLB, Star, Fort Worth Star Telegram, MLB.com. Uh, this is a column that he wrote for Rangers Today. Former Rangers manager Buck Showalter once had a particularly memorable message for a pitcher he was about to pull from a game. Starting pitcher R.I. Dickey was ta- was taking a beating early, and Showalter decided his young right-hander had enough. Not only was Dickey's ass taking a beating, but so, but so too was his fragile ego. Dickey wanted badly to be in the Rangers rotation, but a start like this could easily lead a young pitcher to get sent to the bullpen, or even worse, banished to tip- to AAA Oklahoma City. Showalter walked to the mound, stretched out his hand for the baseball, looked Dickey in the eye, and said, See you in five days. Dickey got a pat on the back on the backside and walked off the mound, feeling lousy about his performance, but relieved by his manager's confidence. That meant a lot to me when he said that, Dickey later told me. Dickey deserved that respect. He's one of the most unique and amazing players I've ever covered during my thirty two years on the Rangers beat. I am voting him for the, on my Hall of Fame ballot this year. That's the end of the article. There's nothing else after that. It's so stupid like <laughs> We're both we're both in this you know trying to get into this industry of, of journalism, sports journalism, but God, it, if if some if some people aren't really into themselves, yeah, yeah, like you know he just wa- I think he just wanted to tell that story, yeah, because it's not even like R. A. Dickey did something nice, Buck Showalter did something. <laughs> nice. <laughs> the story was about Buck. <laughs> Like, Dickey was ex- experiencing an extremely common emotion for people in his position. He wants to be in the rotation, and he did bad, so he was sad because he was scared he wouldn't be in the rotation, which is notoriously something that only R.I. Dickey could feel. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're telling me any number five starter in any rotation that's, like, 24 years old wouldn't feel the same way? Yeah, it, it's... Which I know I know that that's only one story because he did say that he was one of the most amazing and unique players he's covered in his 32 years, which implies there's more. Yeah. But if, is that the one that you're going with? Is it the one that stands out? Right. I don't yeah. know. It, I thought it was wild. Um, but, but like, honestly, I, I've, you know, paid attention to the Hall of Fame voting for so many years now, it's not even funny. And I've seen a lot of bad takes, a lot of questionable decisions... Sometimes you just gotta sit back and laugh, and this is one yeah. of those times. Yeah, yeah, that's like, true. Like I laughed when, uh, or I was I was thrown off when Peter Gammons decided to drop Larry Walker in his tenth year. Yep. 
and he didn't put down ten players. Like, it wasn't like he had to remove him to make room for someone else. He was just like, yeah, you know, I just, I just decided he's not Hall of Fame worthy this year of all years. Yeah. Like, if people were like, what did Larry Walker do in the last year? <laughs> that <laughs> Peter Gammons took away his vote. Um... I mean, I've seen people make the argument that people like Omar Vizquel that have been in legal trouble are worse people than people that were accused of steroid use. Yeah. I've seen I've seen it all, man. And I guess I haven't seen it all because just when you think you've seen it all, you see a, an article like that with, with R.A. Dickey. Uh, and yeah. And it's just like, it's just, what are we doing? Yeah, you know. Um, you, got, you got... I mentioned Nightingale with Latroy Hawkins. Yeah, you got some. You got four hundred people determined in this thing. You're gonna get some goofy stuff at some point. Um, I imagine most have pretty normal fair ballots. Um, uh, there was a guy who voted for Houston Street this year. That I th- and I'm pretty sure that the guy didn't vote for Billy Wagner too. Yeah, it's just. Let me let me let me see if I'm correct in that in that uh, conclusion. Okay, no, he did vote for Billy Wagner, uh, and he did vote for ten. Oh, it was the same guy. <laughs> the Wait. same guy voted for Houston Street and R.A. Dickey on the same ballot. Yeah. And he didn't vote for Bobby Abreu, Carlos Beltran, Mark Burley. Uh, who else that's that's somewhat Hall of Fame worthy did he not vote for? Andy Pettit, Manny Ramirez. He voted for A-Rod, but not Manny, which I find very amusing. Yeah. I guess, I guess there's a case where, like... I guess if Manny, you, but not A Rod, is weirder. But if you have a if you have a line, of, yeah, like A Rod, he wasn't. didn't vote for K Rod, but he voted for Houston Street. Did Houston Street ever play for the Rangers? He had to have, right? No. He A's, played for the he played for A's, the A's Rockies, and Angels. A's Rockies Padres. He didn't. Angels. He didn't. Wait, hold on. I gotta go back to that guy's column. I now now what's the what's the logic behind Houston Street? There's no way, dude. Um, Houston Street. He's not... <laughs> I I can't believe it, man. This is even crazier. Oh, man. I, this is... This is... Absolutely insane. So... If you're... If you're explaining why you voted someone for the Hall of Fame... You would think that the first sentence would be something that isn't... He's not a Hall of Famer. <laughs> There's no way, man. He, oh he I swear God. to God, this is this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. I really have not seen it all. This is I'm gonna read you the full I'm gonna read you the full thing. I can't believe this. So TR Sullivan, uh, formerly of the Fort Worth what was it? What was it? Forward Star Telegram and MLB.com. For currently with a blog called Rangers Today, I voted for Houston Street, <laughs> and said, "quote He's not a Hall of Famer, but the native Texan should get at least one taken vote as recognition for his character, competitive competitiveness, and pretty decent career." <laughs> that is outstanding. Truly, truly, the finest work. There is no shot. I can't wait to be in the BBWAA and just vote for anybody from Connecticut. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's... 
Why, like, why are you so bent on getting people from Texas recognition? Like, it's one of the best states at producing baseball players <laughs> to begin with. Yeah, like, <laughs> like at least thirty percent of American <laughs> of American baseball players are like from Texas. That's insane. Like, isn't there's got to be other players from Texas on the ballot? Like, did, how did he not vote for Mike Napoli under the under these circumstances? Like, he played, he had like three different tenures with the Rangers. He is from Florida, sure, but. He gives off he gives off Texas energy. Yeah. Oh yeah. Remember? What about John Lackey? Yeah. He he's he is from Texas. And he's way better than Houston Street. <laughs> he was better than Houston Street. And he and he also played for the Angels, just like Houston Street. <laughs> what? What? Dude, this <clears throat> You can never tell me that that you've seen it all. Because yeah. this might be this might be the one that takes the cake. In all my years of following this process. This is the one. This guy used 10 votes, two of them on R.A. Dickey, who he his justification was to tell a funny story about Buck Showalter. Yep. And here and Houston Street, who's from Texas. Yep. And op- and he openly admitted is not a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Yeah, you that know. That is that is something else, man. It's something. It is something. At least he voted for Billy Wagner. I would have, like, personally DM'd this guy. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure Wagner's from Texas also. He is. <laughs> yeah. He is. You don't, you don't even have to look it up. I can tell you absolutely he's from Texas. Yeah. Yeah, he's from... Uh, oh, he's from Virginia. Oh, shit. Well, that's awkward. Yeah. Well, he played in Houston. All right, we're going to cut that part. <laughs> um, well, yeah. So some goofy stuff happens that is, in I, the Hall of Fame. I movie. truly can't believe it. Um. Yeah, I fr- I didn't even like I looked at the Dickey story and didn't even realize he put Houston Street there too. That's pretty wild. And his justification for Houston Street is somehow even crazier. Yeah. So shout out to he is not a Hall of Famer, but the native Texan should get at least one taken vote as recognition of his character, competitiveness, and pretty decent career. Pretty decent. You know, you know what lands you on the Hall of Fame ballot to begin with a pretty decent career. <laughs> yeah. He was respectable. He was a respectable Like, closer. every single person on this ballot, at the very least, had a pretty decent career. Like, Matt Cain won't get a single vote, but he had a pretty decent career. He threw oh, a yeah. perfect game. Uh, who else? Who else? Johnny Peralta, he won't get a single vote, but you know what? He had a pretty decent career. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's people that aren't even listed on the tracker because uh, they don't even bother putting them, him, them on there. J.J. Uh, Hardy is on the ballot. He won't get a single vote, but you know what? He had a pretty decent career. Bon- Bronson Arroyo. Um, that I. I can't believe it, dude. I I like. I'm still processing all that. It's uh, yeah. Shout out to T R. Sullivan. Sullivan, um, making some great material for Above Replacement Radio. Um, crazy. <clears throat> Anything more you want to get to before we wrap it up? I think that's where you gotta. That's where you have to wrap it up. Good stopping point. Uh, is he a f- His name is in bold on the on the uh, tracker. Does that mean he's a first time voter? Does it mean he's? I don't know. I don't know what it means. I need to figure that one out. Because his name his name is in bold on the uh, on the tracker. I feel like that would mean something because it usually does. If anything, it's probably it probably means like they didn't vote last year, but they're returning this year. Yeah. Well, 
if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, go to our YouTube channel. It's called Above Replacement Radio. Check out the video content we have presented. We have three, we have three shorts uh, talking about different Hall of Fame candidates and the cases for them. Go check that out. Uh, if you want to follow us on social media, follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore Gianta, on Instagram at Chris Gianta, and follow Daniel on both Twitter and Instagram at Daniel underscore Curran, and follow the show Instagram at Above Replacement Radio for all the show needs. We hope you enjoyed this one, and we hope to see you next time, where we will be talking the Hall of Fame results and, uh, and uh, other MLB news. We will see you then. This conversation. This conversation is over. Is over.